Um, welcome to Strategy Cafe, everybody. Um, delighted to have you all um, with us this morning. And uh, this is uh, your regular shot of early morning leadership inspiration. And boy, oh boy, have we got some incredible, inspiring leaders to chat to you today. So super excited about that. And I'm just going to give you a little bit of heads up on uh, what's coming next and then rapidly get to discussing life in lockdown uh, with four incredible people. Um, those of you who are regulars know that we've been running a series of sessions about coping with COVID-19. Um, that's a crisis which really does have all of the features, isn't it? I mean, literally everything. Um, so um, there's quite a lot we've already covered and you'll find it on our YouTube channel. So check out our website. There's all good links there. I can't remember exactly what the number is, but I think we've done something like five um, really good sessions. They're just really practical. So if you haven't seen them, go have a look. There's some really good stuff in there. Um, just a little bit of forthcoming events. So um, in the current environment, we felt it was really important at some point for leaders to talk about loss uh, and about grief. Uh, which sounds like a heavy subject, but it's a really important subject. And so on the 17th of, sorry, on the 3rd of June, on the 3rd of June, uh, the webinar is going to be with Katerina Gould and Bert Stamath, who are our, two of our great coaches and therapists, together with me. Um, and just we need to discuss, you know, what the emotional impact of loss is on people and how that's processed just to give you pointers about how the psychodynamic process works. So things to look out for and how to help. And that may be you and it may be your family and it may be your team, but just good to know really. Um, and then on the 17th of June, we're gonna be following that up with a session on decisive leadership, which should be super good. So um, just quickly on timings for today, I'm uh, gonna introduce the super, super League in just a second, the, the team. Um, and then we're going to be talking about, you know, what happened going into the COVID-19 crisis. So what were the key techniques and methods and things that they did to manage the lockdown? Um, reflections is the second section. So that's just what have they learned? I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I feel we're kind of moving from the 80-20 rule to almost like the 595 rule at the moment, where just really important to focus down on where that intangible value in your business truly is that 5% that's just so important and what is that? So we're gonna talk about that a little bit. Um, and then we're gonna wrap up with talking about what's next, what people are seeing in terms of coming out of lockdown, future trends, what might be happening economically over the next 18 months, 20 months. And it's gonna be an open discussion. Uh, so um, what I want from you all uh, is to ask questions as we go, and we'll try and field those into each of the sections. So about lockdown, uh, about reflections, and about coming out. But without further ado, uh, absolutely delighted to uh, introduce our speakers for today, Elizabeth, Kate, Matt, and Giles. Um, can I just ask you all just to say hi very quickly, and then I'm gonna come to Elizabeth first for a sort of one minute intro, if that's all right. So do you wanna say hi, everybody? Hello. Hello. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Elizabeth, tell us a little bit about you. Hi, good morning. Uh, thank you very much for, for having me here today. So my name is Elizabeth. I am the Director General of the Institute for Family Business. We are a membership organisation for family-owned businesses in the UK. We're part of a global network and we bring people together for the purpose of shared learning and networking. So we're a safe space where we People come together to talk about things like succession planning, family communication, family governance, how to engage the next generation and all those really good and important conversations. Um, we also champion 
when we lobby on their behalf because family businesses are the backbone of our economy and it's really important that their voices um, not just heard but also understood such as long-term thinking and, and how family businesses tend to operate and be very values driven and we're here to make sure the government understands that and takes that into account. Great it's wonderful to have you thank you. Kate tell us a little bit about you. Hello, yeah, I'm Kate Cooper from the Institute of Leadership and Management. I'm Head of Research, Policy and Standards. Our mission is to inspire great leadership everywhere. And that means that we see the potential for leadership in everyone. It's not just at the top of the organisation. It's not just because it's in your job title. Everyone has leadership capability that they can develop. And that's very much like Elizabeth, we are a membership organisation, we're a community, come together offering people help, support, advice in how to just get that bit better at leading and managing people. Um, thank you very much, Kate. We've had wonderful partnership with both the, both the Institute for Family Business, Alice Alembic, and, uh, and with the Institute of Leadership Management and um, heartily endorse what both organisations do. Matt, tell us a little bit about you. Uh, morning everybody, my name is Matt Earl. I am the Managing Director of a company called New River Holdings. Uh, New River Holdings is a parent company for uh, businesses like Robert Lee uh, in the communicate, well, not communication, sorry, construction sector, uh, predominantly distributing bathroom and plumbing products. So uh, Thank you. that's what Thank I you, do. Matt. And Giles, tell us a little bit about you. Uh, Giles Fuchs. Um, CEO and founder, co-founder of Office Space in Town. Office Space in Town are a service office company. We have about 3,000 people sitting at desks in London. Uh, our business model is to own the buildings rather than lease the models, a la WeWork. Uh, my mother founded the industry in the UK in 1979. We are a family business and uh, we follow family values as our ethos. That's wonderful. Um, and uh, just for everyone's awareness, so Matt and Giles, I'd like to hope, I hope that I can say that both of them are really good friends, um, as well as um, clients and also suppliers um, to Alembic. And it's just been an absolute pleasure working with both businesses over the last few years. So delighted to have both of them on board, two really inspiring guys to enjoy, uh, to join two really inspiring uh, ladies. So thank you all very much for, for being here. Um, I'm going to just crack on with the debate, really, and um, so we've just got 10 minutes or so on this one, um, just to get started, and everyone that's listening, you'll see there's a question area, just as we're getting sort of 9.07, uh, there's a question area on your panel, please fire questions in to our guest speakers today, um, and uh, you're welcome to ask anything, and we'll try and field them as they come up, but Matt, maybe I can come to you first, and just, yeah. you know, just give me, just kick us off on, you know, uh, coping with lockdown. Well, coping with lockdown, that's a, I don't know, you cope, you, cope, you sort of manage. It's, uh, it was difficult to start with. I think it was a very surreal experience. We went from January being relatively normal to not quite sure what's going on in February. And then in March is right, everybody out of London, out of your offices, everybody's got to be working from home, if possible. Uh, and it was a rather sort of surreal experience. It's, uh, it's caused as many businesses to to look at the way they do things. What is the new normal going to be like? Because I mean, I've read reading articles about big businesses like Barclays who've got big towers in the uh, in the city, saying, well, they're never going to go back to working that way. 
uh, on a much smaller scale, it's very similar to our business. We we managed to get from everybody working in the office one week to the end of the following week, everybody in the office working from home. Uh, and if you'd have asked us, could we do that in January? The answer would have been absolutely not. It's almost impossible to work that quickly. But when your arm is forced, it's incredible what the, the what everybody can achieve together when you're all working towards the same goal. Like we literally went from on one Friday, okay, everybody's got to be working from home by the end of next Friday, and we did it. The hardest bit was getting some of the equipment to uh, enable us to get them actually working from home, but we managed it. Every Everybody else seemed to be buying all the kit that you needed to work from home as well. Matt, what were the key things that helped you and your team really drive that rapid shift in operating environment? You know, what what were the two what were the two or three things that you did and your team like responded to that made it happen? I guess the pressure is one, but the, the biggest thing for us was the communication. It was yeah. internal communication to staff. So initially it was face to face, right? This is what we've got to achieve, guys. We're doing it for our all our benefit and our family's benefits. So we all have to achieve this together. So it was face-to-face -to -face communication to start with for the first couple of days, explaining uh, what was required of everybody to get them working from home by the following week. And then, of course, when everybody's working remotely, you don't have that face-to-face -face interaction that you would normally expect on a day-to-day -day work, working environment. So we had to look at the way we communicated with our staff differently. We, we've set up... Uh, almost bi-weekly new, excuse me for a second. I forgot I had an automatic printer. My son's probably printing his homework. Um, yes, we had to change our communication strategy. So we, uh, we looked at creating a, a weekly internal newsletter to staff, which we've never done before just yeah. to keep them informed about not only the progress that the business was making, but we started talking about welfare uh, and, and how they can look after themselves in lockdown. So it's, it's changed everything that we do. Who wants to come in on that? Does that resonate with the others? You can put your hand up. Kate. Okay, oh, I can't hear you. You're muted. We've been campaigning literally for years for flexible working, which working at home is part of that, part of the flexible working family. And all the excuses that people have given for, oh, no, we can't have home working, you know, people won't work hard, we won't got to all see each other, we won't learn from each other. They've all been turned on their head, just as Matt's explained, that this amazing shift to being able to do things at home as at the Institute, we flipped quite quickly, very quickly, in fact, because we already had a proportion of staff home working. So we sort of knew how to do it. But we're conducting some research at the moment and it's still in process. And the comments we're getting about people saying, I've been asking for ages to work from home and I've been told, no, I can't. And now all of a sudden, not only can I two days a week, I can do it every day. So there has been an absolute sea change in attitudes towards home working, which is a really, for us, a very positive thing. And um, um, Elizabeth or Giles, do you want to come in? Yeah, you might be on mute. I, am I? No, I think I've come off mute no, now. Can. It's just that someone's drilling behind me. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, I want to say, well, luckily, it's just like an Olympic training session, wasn't it? Thrown in 
move from this square to that square. Now, what do you do and what do you feel? So it was very, uh, things moved so quickly at the beginning. And uh, we started by um, um, having our staff go in, change the hours slightly. And within a day, 24 hours, we realized that due to what they were telling us, that they weren't feeling safe. And so the yeah. next day, which we thought that would last for a few weeks, the next day we stopped them going in and we thought, well, we'll have them going in, the manager going in every day. And then that changed the next day, going in twice a week, once a week. And uh, the clients followed in a similar suit, but we, we didn't know what was going on. So uh, we then implemented, implemented day one when we realized the staff uh, were feeling uncomfortable and we couldn't sustain that. We, we called it a Cobra COVID OSIT meeting every morning uh, in, a, in a Zoom fashion. And directly after that, so that was our, our board. And then directly after that, we had our senior management team uh, who are all members and uh, of the Institute of Learning. They have letters after their name. Thank you very much for that. Um, and um, we created this amazing, I think, brilliant uh, structure of Confer and Triumph, which is our business and family motto. What do we like? What don't we like? And then go to see the management team and give it to them to impl implement. And so that was our first stage. Uh, and that went on for the first two weeks. Then uh, we realized that what we need to communicate, uh, absolutely as Matt said, uh, with both our staff and our clients. And we implemented a, a weekly OSIT newsletter, which some of you uh, listening and certainly Nick would have been receiving. Uh, yeah. And it communicated all the government initiatives in terms of uh, grants, civil loans, uh, their instructions in terms of whether they should or shouldn't be going to work. Um, it also gave some quizzes. Uh, there were poetry competitions. There was a letter from a director each week. It was very, we're very community-based anyway. So, that, so we created this great community communication. Uh, and then with the um, staff, the managers had their teams and they had a meeting every week. We then had a, an offset team meeting on a Friday with a glass of wine. Uh, which started off as something that ended up as basically a massive quiz uh, every Friday uh, with wine. And then and then they all kind of split off. So we then solved the communication with our staff, who were mostly young and mostly furloughed, but we wanted to keep them updated uh, and involved uh, in the community. So I'm going to say I'll probably stop it there because that was our, our stage one. I love it. So communication is coming out really strongly. Elizabeth, have you, do you want to come in on this? Uh, what have you been experiencing on the way in? Thank you. So we went, um, we opted for home working about a week before lockdown. Uh, the writing was already on the wall and people were starting to, to worry. So from a sort of mental health perspective, we took the view that it's better that people go home and, and then we deal with whatever is, is coming. And we transitioned very, very easily, shockingly easily to, to working from home at the beginning. Um, it was, uh, there were things that we had planned in terms of physical events that had to be postponed or, or cancelled. So that was one of the first things that we had to do. But transitioning to delivering learning and networking online has actually been a, a relatively positive experience for us. We're engaging probably with, with more members than ever before because everyone's in the same situation. Everyone's in front of computers and, and phones all day. So it's been, it's been quite an interesting one for us. Uh, we had our first board meeting online, and I suspect there will be more of that to come in future because obviously you can take sort of travel out of the equation and make certain things far more manageable for people. I do sincerely look forward to being able to be in the room with people again, if that is um, at the heart of what we do. 
but most of our services are also um, something we're able to do in, in this COVID world and, and thank goodness for that. And we've had an opportunity to develop some new offers as well. So there's been, it's sparked some, some creativity, uh, but I can also see that people have worked extremely hard and, and I suspect that, you know, in, in a month or so, everybody will be needing a bit of a break from this different, you know, it's very, very different way of working and way of interacting with everyone. We've got a question come in just before that. I just wanted to just check in, if like maybe just one of you, uh, did any of you experience, I mean, the, the, that story is amazing. And I think there's a congruity about communication. And I know, I know that from what I've seen that like your culture has come across very strongly also in your communication. Uh, certainly as an outsider receiving some of them it's been wonderful uh, to see that um but do you have you know what were the things that were really difficult because that sounds very competent worked really well kind of got there was there anything that somebody wants to contribute it's been super tough and actually was a problem or was it all all right matt one of one of the uh, interesting things that's happened on furlough as i'm sure it's happened to, to many of our listeners out there we took on two new key members of staff as in senior roles within the business at the point that the business went into lockdown. Yes. So it was spectacularly difficult for these two people and as a business to integrate. I mean, one, one of the ladies who started was joining us as our new HR manager. Uh, and of course, she's having to get to know everybody remotely via web calls and emails. Uh, it's proved spectacularly difficult for for everybody uh, and, and the other role was uh, we introduced a new chief financial officer at, uh, at head office and again everything she's doing or has been doing for the last six or seven weeks has been done remotely and uh, the, the challenges of integrating yourself into a senior management team remotely are not something that we anybody's ever had to consider before Interesting, Giles. Hand up. Good mute, yeah. I think. You're back at school. Um, I think. <laughs> am I? No. Can you hear me? Yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah. Um, what was was difficult is immediately you had to. We had to think about the impact to the various stakeholders. Stakeholders we've already mentioned are clients and staff, but we have investors uh, and landlords as well, and banks. So what was the impact to our business uh, and, and how were we, what was the impact to the income stream? Uh, and I'm sure all of you did this. We spent weeks doing cash flows, uh, thinking about the offers we need to offer to our clients to make sure that they were as robust as they could be. What were the banking covenants going to look like? Well, not very good, I can tell you. Uh, and, what were, and how are our stakeholder investors going to feel about the fact they've invested in uh, our idea and concept for income? So, um, I mean, I, anyone who knows me will know that I love that sort of conundrum. And yeah. uh, so what was difficult, how to solve all those. I mean, that's a massive mountain of business. Um, but that was what was difficult, um, apart from the stuff we talked about, about how do we get out of the office? That uh, really resonates with me, Giles. I uh, spent the last six weeks doing that, uh, just almost constantly scenario planning and then communicating about the changes with all the stakeholders. Um, I'm going to say hundreds of what you might call difficult conversations um, and then I don't know how you guys have found this but actually the recipients of that have been you know by and large have been amazing and it's been wonderful to have them you know you expect it's going to be difficult. Matt? Yeah what I was going to say picking up on your, your you mentioned the banks there 
that's been a, quite a source of entertainment for us at New River Holdings because, of course, the banks always ask the sensible questions at completely the wrong time. And they say to us, well, if you're in lockdown and your sales are falling, which they were, as I'm sure everybody's did, um, can you do us a new cash flow forecast, please? And I said, yeah, absolutely no problem. It'll be a complete work of fiction, but you're welcome to it. And that's the conversation we've been having with the bank. They keep asking for it. Quite, I mean, I understand why they're asking the question. Somebody's got to tick a box somebody, somewhere. But they have to understand that it's almost impossible, given the current environment, to predict what's going to happen next week, let alone next month or six months' time. Uh, it's been quite a challenge. Is that true for all of you? So I think what Matt's saying is that what we can do is we can take our costs down and we can predict the cost, but the income side of it is just an unknown. So therefore you need scenario plans, right? You need to fix your costs at a lower level as fast as you can and then think about what the income scenarios might be. Does that reflect when everyone's thinking? Giles? Well, I think the conclusion we came to um, was almost, uh, I don't know if you guys felt the same, but almost irrelevant what the the banks and the investors said um, we were going to save cash because if you had cash um, we didn't think it was going to be long term uh, you you would survive in the end um, so things like the government stuff so they gave us VAT which was great and uh, certain tax um, deferments um, but rates as well although we do have to pay our rates we're not zero rated we we stopped paying rates since the buildings were empty so we felt we had an argument so we we conserved cash uh, literally from day one to make sure that we saw our way through the other thing uh, and we're slightly different matt on this because uh, yours and a lot of you out there your sales are how how good were you last week uh, we have long-term contracts with our clients um, and we wanted to make sure that when we opened back opened um, we were as full as we possibly could be and so we discussed early doors how can we make a absolutely amazing offer to our clients whilst at the same time um get some income now the base and probably not that very that interesting for most of you but the conclusion we came to was that there is discussion in the market for serviced offices about deferring the income about giving the 10 percent discount the 20 percent discounts after all they were in contract well we decided that uh, this was about uh, partly a sense of duty to the business community and family business and all that, but partly about going above and beyond so that they absolutely wanted to stay with us. We we immediately, without anyone asking, slashed the rates uh, to those in contract uh, by 50%, and, and that's where we've stayed. Um, that's great, and I think that's um, really interesting. And um, um, I mean, given all, all you know, a lot of our clients have been struggling with their landlords. I wish they were all with you, Giles, because uh, you know you you got there before everyone else. I, I would say, um, and uh, you were proactive about it rather than reactive about it. Um, Kate, I'm going to come to you and just move us forward. So this conversation continued, but let's move into sort of reflections a little bit. Um, I'm just going to read out some of the questions we've got coming in. So um, just, Kate, maybe you can think about these. I know you've got comments to make, but um, Steve is asking, um, in post-COVID divide between those who can and will work from home and those who cannot because of their type of work, does it create some sort of divide in the team? And how do people think about that? Um, I've got a great question in from Bruce. So the, you know, the working from home, working in the office divide, and what's the problem there? How have you managed your teams? This is from Bruce. How have you managed your teams um, from overcompensating 
in the first instance to help the business meet its demands and then through working extremely long hours I think all of us experiencing that so we've taken time and cost down but then they're still super busy um, and then from Rick um, from the head of the security Institute um, uh, only this morning had to remind staff that they're logging off later and later in the day while they appreciate their dedication what point do we end up sleeping at work rather than working from home how are we balancing all of that and the mental health consequences um, so three great questions um, and, um, and then a couple of other ones here but you know how how what's enabled everyone to be able to respond so quickly um, and uh, this one here, do you think the approach and the belief in other change projects in the future, this kind of rapid transition to working from home, which kind of has gone pretty well with difficulties, has that changed your attitude to other changes you want to make? There's lots of questions there for you to think about. So is there a divide? Is there mental health issues with people just working from home, never stopping? Um, you know, how have you, you know, how have you, um, you know, the same question about busy long hours, and then does it affect your attitude to change, just seeing how quickly can adapt in reality? Kate, do you want to kick us off? Yes, I think the first question there about, well, what I, I was celebrating those people who wanted to work from home and now can, but there are people who will not be able to work from home and they will work in the same organisations, of course. So there is resentment where, or there are potential resentments and we're already hearing about those and I think that one of the only things you can really do is surface them and talk about them and compensate you know homeworking definitely a real perk a benefit for many people if you haven't access to that and your colleagues do well what do you get you know that they don't because we know we all benchmark ourselves against our colleagues as to what's fair and what's an adequate reward I think the mental health is really significant in both our early research findings and in, we have daily webinars that we obviously we can gauge the popularity of certain subjects. Mental health, literally hundreds of people logging in about that. Yes, there's isolation to contend with and loneliness missing your colleagues but it does seem to me and I don't know if, if the other people would agree that some people have either gone to so ridiculously busy and then at the other end, there are those people, well, I can't work. And that obviously is going to have a huge impact on the ridiculously busy, just as it will on the can't work. But the residual effect of that, as, as um, Elizabeth said, I think people are going to start to need a rest. We cannot maintain this level because I think a lot of it is from anxiety. If we don't do it, our businesses will fail. So mm. how can we keep going sustainably I think is the big question. Who wants to come in on that? Matt. I was going, sorry Nick, all I was going to say was I think everybody talks about the mental well-being and I completely agree, agree and understand with that but also there's a lot of people working from home who aren't set up to work from home. So there's the physical well-being as well. Everybody, uh, I mean I'm fortunate enough I brought my office chair home. So I've got a nice desk and an office chair to work from, but not everybody's got that. Uh, and that's something that sometimes gets missed a little bit. Everybody talks about the mental health and it's mental health week this week. Um, but people forget that you, know, you have to provide as an employer, whether they're working from home or not, uh, a comfortable working environment for their, for their physical well-being as well. I agree with that. It's a great point. Um, Giles, I know you want to come in. Elizabeth, I'm just interested to come to you. So, how's the experience been around the, you know, the family business network on, on all of these things? 
obviously in amongst our members people have been affected very differently because they come from um, so many different sectors but I think um, some of the conversations that we've had with people um, have been around mental health some are training mental health officers within their businesses in in order to to respond um, others I have talked to have just seen themselves as really being being part of the solution doing a lot to try and and produce the things that have been required and needed such as alcohol and sanitizer and those types of things and others again have been super creative and bringing their offers online and doing beer tastings and wine tastings online things that uh, sort of senior generation probably never imagined that they would be doing on Facebook a few months ago um, so I've seen a lot of creativity a lot of concern a lot of care and also a lot of engagement with their local communities so their philanthropic activity has also gone up quite significantly which has been which has been uh, obviously really um, wonderful to, to see they really see themselves as being part of getting everyone through this not just their own businesses interesting really interesting Giles do you want to come in yes um, we've done a questionnaire to um, a few thousand people and without doubt the over over uh, arching position is that people want to come back to the office now, it might not be 100% of the time, but it's at some point. I mean, almost 95%. And the other 5%, well, maybe they don't ever want to come back to the office. But um, this has forced perhaps a change that was happening already. Can we work from home? Can't we work from home? But unless, uh, we've got to remember also that a huge number of people are furloughed at the moment. I mean, it's been mentioned. Those people need to get back to work. And it doesn't matter whether they can or can't work at home. At the moment, they're furloughed. Most of those people, I would yes need to be at the office to do their work and um, um, unless we do then um, we're, we as a society and as a business community are in serious do-do um, the other thing I think is we have to remember that we meet our wives our lovers our friends uh, and have a huge amount of our social life emanating from work um, we've already seen in from just me and Matt uh, someone was drilling at the front door and Matt's printer went off uh, and apart from that 99% of people don't live in what look like very comfortable houses that we live in they live in a one-bedroom house or a studio or uh, a small flat and they can't work from home so mm -hmm. I think that what will happen is when you look at the you take consideration the well-being mental and physical of your staff uh, and you take in the collaborative nature of working with other people um, and um, the the other social aspects I mentioned already, um, we'll find that um, we actually do have to get back uh, to the work and working together. But that some business practices will change, and some people uh, who are more effective working at home will work at home. So, uh, Kate, yeah. I was just going to add there, yeah, I'm totally supporting what Giles was saying there. We did some research earlier this year and 70% of respondents said that their colleagues were, were the, one of the main reasons they stayed in their job. And we will all be miss, missing our colleagues and that need to connect is totally human. So it's not sustainable, I think, in the in the long term. And we will, like Elizabeth said, we want to be with people again. And that is going to become a stronger and stronger need, I think. Really interesting. So um, uh, we've got uh, quite a few more questions coming in. I don't sorry, think we covered. Sorry. Yeah, go on. Go. Just one more thing. Sorry. I, you know, I can't help myself talking. Um, 
just want to add that the, this this is temporary. The reason we're even having a lot of the questions about should we go to work or shouldn't, it's because of the fear factor. Uh, yeah. If there was no fear, then almost everyone would return to work tomorrow. I just want to say that this is, in my mind, temporary while we deal with uh, COVID, how bad, uh, and the fear of getting back to work safely. Sorry. Um, Elizabeth, actually, I, I, I missed your question. Sorry. Come to you. No, I just, um, I, I just think this is such an important conversation because I think um, one of the things that I, I really enjoyed about this lockdown, and, and I would rather not have it, of course, is that we, we get to be sort of whole human beings a little bit more. So um, when I talk to colleagues, we'll start the conversation with, how are you doing? But it's a genuine, how are you doing conversation, not a, yeah, I'm fine, thanks, and move on to, to work. But actually, we're checking in with each other a little bit more. And I think that's so important because this is not just about working from home. Their whole lives change, not just their working lives. Um, so it's not you can work from home and then go and have dinner with five friends down the road. It's everything has changed. And the only people you see are the people you live with and not everybody lives with other people. And I think, you know, and, and in the IFB team, uh, many of us have families in other countries. So there's a lot of things that have changed dramatically. And I think we need to just be really mindful of that and then um, get much better at checking in with each other and, and being the whole human beings that we that we are and yeah. and each other through it, not as just as colleagues, but actually as 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 people. I think that's a lovely, lovely, lovely point and a really important point. The kind of concept that tragedy um, really makes us see each other and connect um, and it's a sad thing to say but it's a really important point Elizabeth and I can wholeheartedly agree with you um, we had um just gonna move on to like you know coming out and what are the thoughts about next which I think you know the same themes probably pick up but there's probably other ones as well just gonna throw you a few questions from the audience uh, just as we get into this so we had that whole question about you know, how do you feel about further change initiatives which is maybe one that we can have a think about um, Anthony Prali uh, has asked about how you feel about subsidizing e-bikes um, and to get people into the office as you know compensation and preempting the sort of climate crisis that's coming. Um, and then Jonathan's asking about you know uh, moving beyond coping given the business models may be fundamentally affected in the next year or two maybe longer you know are you thinking about permanent changes to your value proposition your offer and is a permanent structural change coming to your business. Um, and Bruce is asking, you know, how are you managing teams who are cancelling and not taking their leave? Um, so some really important uh, conversations there. And, um, um, you know, are there, you know, do you have any sort of, um, do you have any sort of highlights about how people can genuinely work from home when their family are around and they're working from a kitchen table or in a flat or whatever? You know, what what good experiences have you got? But I guess the big question coming forward into this next phase, and Giles is going to come to you first on this, is you know what are you seeing on the way out, and what has to change, and what are you going to focus on? Just uh, well, our business model uh, can't change fundamentally because we're providing home for people uh, to do their business, and uh, I'm going to stick with what I believe, which is I think people are going to come back to work. Uh, they enjoy coming back to work. Um, if, they, if it is that they're more uh, productive at home, then they will be at home. So I don't think for us it's going to change. We're going to do for a while. We're going to do a lot less conferencing. But uh, I, who, I think it was Elizabeth who said I want to be in a room with other people. So I think that's going to come back. Um, I'm 
um, if I might, just a little political, Giles Fuchs political broadcast. I think that if we go back to March, uh, there was no facts about COVID. We didn't know, the government didn't know. Uh, we had Ferguson's model, which is now vastly or mostly discredited. Um, we, the government made a decision that it was going to protect the people and not the assets for the first time in history, in fact. Um, and that was uh, lauded, and I think politically uh, had to be the case. Um, we're not there now. We're somewhere totally, we do have lots of data regarding COVID. And the fact is that below 45 years of age, only 230 people have died with COVID. Of those, almost all those had un underlying issues. And of course, as sad as that is, um, that is a fact. And then even below 65, it's, it's a minimal number. The people who are dying are the elderly and those with underlying health issues. We asked the NHS to go to the most dangerous place on the planet, which is ICI, ICU wards, and to put their life on the line, which they've done for us. It's our turn now to step up and manage our own risk void, which frankly isn't that big when you look at the figures if you're healthy. Now, if you're not healthy, of course, and you have people who you're protecting, you should be careful and cognizant of that and stay at home and keep clean and uh, change your clothes when you're in. Of course you should. We need to get on and move things forward. So I'm afraid my position, as wrong as it might sound to a lot of people at this stage, is we need to we need to stand up, be brave, and uh, move on from where the NHS have taken us. I have to say I agree with that, Giles. That you know it's you know we're, we're most of the time we're unconscious of the risks we take on a daily basis. But riding on your bike, you know, driving in your car, you know, some of these have got risks which are higher for some people than than COVID. And but for others, it's works. It's a higher level of risk. So I mean, just understanding those differences is really important. Matt, do you want to come in on this? Well, you, you both mentioned risk there, and uh, absolutely, we're, we're managing a new type of risk, aren't we? Normally, we're talking about business risk or sales or financial risk. This is a health risk to all of our staff. And when we went into lockdown, um, nobody quite knew what was going on, as you said, Giles. Uh, uh, and I also agree that now that we have a better understanding of what's going on and how to mitigate that risk, it's important that businesses do look forward and try and get the economy going uh, because the longer term detriment of having this economy in, in recession or heading towards recession could be more damaging than the, the virus itself to people's health and well-being. So it, it, we have to manage this risk as individuals, as businesses as, and as communities and work together to get this thing going again. Uh, and it's just carry... about PPE and go on. Sorry, Matt, carry on. I'll take it. No, no, I was just talking about we've had six or seven weeks to prepare to getting our staff back to a working environment. Uh, and we've managed the risk with the appropriate PPE, new working procedures uh, and staff training and, and communication with the customers about how things are going to be done now. Um, so and um, one of the questions that's come in that we haven't touched on um, is kind of related to both the economy and our people to so both your points and maybe um, you know Elizabeth I've come to you on this one so this is just a question about confidence so we all know that confidence is key to getting the economy back on track and underlying that there's a question about everyone's confidence in getting out of the house getting on public transport getting back into the office so you know just question for, for maybe Elizabeth you can pick this one up and you know how do we rebuild confidence in people just to get back out, as uh, the chaps are saying. I mean, the way I'm looking at it for, from, from our team's perspective is that uh, we're, we're just a team of, of 
eight people. So um, we're, we're in a different position to, to, to bigger businesses. But the way I look at it is that we need to make sure that everybody feels comfortable and not everybody feels the risk at the same in the same way. Some of us will be a lot less fearful of coming out of lockdown than, than others. And I'm looking at it from the perspective of as long as we can continue to offer what we need to offer our members, um, I am I am okay with coming out of COVID in, in stages for the team. So one or two of us will probably return to work sooner than others. Some of us don't have to get on public transport to get into work. So those of us will probably go back before those who need to get on a train to come into work. So we're gonna do it in a very staged um, manner. And I'm, I'm also actually really quite excited about coming out of this, um, which is, is new for me. I was very much in it for a very long time, not really seeing my way out of it. But now I think having seen that it is possible to have um, a different way of working, I think that I would like to incorporate far more flexibility into how we operate as a team, um, acknowledging that we don't all have to be in the same room at the same time all of the time so that people can have lives, whether that be with their families at home in the UK or whether they work from home with their families in other parts of, of Europe um, at times when, when that is required. I'm really, um, I'm really positive about how we do this and also that we can deliver value in so many different ways to before. Um, online was not really part of our offer before, but I suspect it will be going forward. And it means that we can bring the whole of the international family business community to us and vice versa. Whereas before, again, that wasn't a particular priority because people would rather be in a room with people. But having seen that online is actually just as engaging, I think it opens up ways in which we can think about delivering uh, new kinds of value. It's interesting, isn't it? Because you seem to be really creative. So I think there's going to be a lot of creativity around how we use the online offline environment. Kate, what uh, what is the research telling us about this? And what are your members' experiences? Is there, I know you guys operate globally anyway, right? Yeah, well, especially even more so now, especially in India. We have a lot of interest from India, which is uh, really great for us. One of the things that people are really interested in is innovation and creativity, as you've already mentioned, Nick. And I think that, that that's because we've got a much more of a can-do attitude. I was talking to the civil service in the Cayman Islands last week. They put up a field hospital in three weeks. They said if wow. it hadn't been for COVID-19 and somebody had asked them to do that probably a year. And all of a sudden that can-do culture it's absolute cultural shift in organizations do you know what we can do things quickly and I, back to that question earlier about will this change people's attitude to change absolutely i think we're now looking at how innovative creative adaptable we can actually be keep that good stuff and take it to whatever the new normal is going to look like but there won't be any going back matt you want to come in so I just well, I just realised we we sort of skipped a, a question that one of your one of our listeners uh, talked about holiday leave. How are we coping with or dealing with the holiday mm. leave aspect of this? One of the things we're doing at New River Holdings is obviously while staff are on furlough, they're still accruing holidays, so they're still entitled to take that holiday. Uh, we we made a decision of communicated to all of our staff that rather than looking at the holiday uh, in one year. We're just going to say to all our staff, well, your allocation for a two-year period is this, uh, and then leave it to the department and business managers to manage that 
again, a little bit of risk over when people take their holidays. So there'll be a lot of carryover, I expect, into next year. But it's something that uh, that's how we dealt with it. Uh, and the other point I wanted to mention was uh, picking up on what Kate was saying about this can-do community spirit and attitude that everybody has. The, the clapping on a Thursday night, I think, is a wonderful idea. Uh, one thing that irritates me, and this may be personal, I don't know, but I'm going to share it, is the media coverage about how everybody is handling this. Uh, I think my personal opinion is Laura Koonsberg ought to be furloughed because if she had been reporting during the Dunkirk uh, landings when the community and country pulled together to bring everybody back off the beaches in Dunkirk, uh, she would all she would have done was moan at the government that we didn't have enough battleships to do it ourselves rather than supporting and embracing the community spirit that everybody is showing out on the streets on a Thursday evening. Um, it's just a little bugbear of mine that I think the media ought to be more supportive of the community spirit that everybody else is showing. Rant over. Um, uh, Giles, I'm going to come to you. So just uh, on this point, uh, I want us to also just move forward to focus about what's next. So um, just as a way into this, the change point is a really big one to pick up on. Um, the confidence point is a bit good one I'd like you to pick up on. I know you're advising the government on this, Giles, so just curious to hear about that. Um, and I, um, I guess, you know, given, given the likelihood of a consumer spending downswing coming, um, we don't really, can't really predict, you know, the longevity of the, the spending squeeze that's going to that's going to come in sort of second part third part of this do you know what what are what are you seeing and then how do we build confidence so i know we talked a little bit about the internal operating model you've got some words on that can we then just reflect on the external environment a little bit and you know what's the way of attacking the market for businesses going forward as well uh, we'll just start with that point um in terms of how do we get back to work uh, and how do we encourage people to get back to work and feel comfortable about it um, the, the thing that got us staying at home was the language uh, driven by the government, uh, which was, you leave home, you die. So that language we've already seen is changing, uh, be alert. And um, as they push that, and in fact, we've seen the chief education officer pleading with teachers uh, to come back because you are safe. So I think the language from the head needs to, is changing and needs to change. So that we're, we're having this conversation, we're all having the same conversation currently. Some of us having the conversation is, you know, we're going to die if we stay, if we go out and other other people are saying, actually, it's not that bad. So a consistent message, firstly. Secondly, yeah, um, yes, very flattering. I was invited to advise the government on how to, one of these seven meetings they're having, how to get people back to workspace safely. Obviously, my specialism is office space. So uh, we're talking about how to get them back to work safely. Your office space, and there's, there's so much information out there at the moment, how to make an office space safe, uh, social distancing, maybe. Uh, sneeze screens at reception, sneeze key screens between your desks, sanitizer at, at every touch point, oral cleaners. We've invested in a load of an army of smoggers, uh, which is a word that probably hadn't existed before now, but it it uh, it sends out a viral uh, cleaner which attached to all surfaces, which uh, kills uh, COVID and other viruses on contact, bursts it basically. Um, so uh, in terms of the office space. Uh, it can be made very safe, not not an issue. Uh, Matt has mentioned it, and I think Elizabeth, in fact, probably everyone mentioned it. The issue is how to get to work safely. Mm. So if you're driving, if you're walking, if you're cycling, scootering, running, 
then you're going to be safe. Uh, the issue in the conurbations is the public transport, the buses uh, and the trains. And we've had some conversations with Secretary of State about that. Um, I mean, bizarre ideas like everyone facing the same direction, um, um, only on seats facing forward, uh, an indoor to the carriage and an outdoor carriage. I don't know if any of this is going to actually be feasible. Um, mostly, though, uh, even in the conurbations, I think the trains are probably safe. Uh, what we were told in these meetings, would you believe, that outside London, only 4% of the population has had COVID. The chance of you meeting someone with COVID, especially as we now see the figures of 24 new cases only last week per day in London, the chance of meeting someone with COVID now are very, very slight. So the trains to London are safe, and you can walk across London, or certainly from Paddington to uh, the city in an hour. So we need to, and going in with everything's changing, Kate Elizabeth, you were saying, uh, yeah, walking, cycling, it's get fitter. Um, certainly me, and so. Uh, I need to get on my bike and do some exercise. So I think that there will be a change in how we get to work and the government have closed down a lot of streets in London, London particularly, uh, so we can cycle. Uh, so I think that's going to change in terms of making people safe. I don't think we have enough information about to the economy now. Um, again, those know me, know me, I'm an eternal optimist or even when I'm a pessimist, it's short-term pessimist, long-term optimist. Um, I don't know, but I, I do feel that there's the thing that will bounce us back is this pent-up um, purchasing that hasn't happened. No one's bought a car forever. No one's bought a three-piece suite forever. No one, not many people have moved house. I think that, will, as soon as we can, that's what we're going to start doing again because that's our, that's what we normally do. I'm today, and judge me in six months' time. I think we're going to have the the Nike swish. It might not be the V return, but I think the uh, worse than Nike swish. I think we're uh, going to go out there, buy our stuff. Uh, the only proviso I'd say is how much how much debt is available, given that the banks have lent so much uh, to government and business. I'm just super conscious of time, and it's been a wonderful conversation, so it's been lovely to just let it run, but we're just running up um, just past the official close. So maybe I could just go around and have one, one brief comment from Elizabeth, from Kate, and then from Matt. Matt, I come to you last because I know you actually just reopened. So maybe you can comment on, you know, how you're finding demand just as you start to, you know, unlock and send out bathroom supplies to your. To your. But maybe we can come Elizabeth first. Just maybe one comment on how you and your members are viewing the future economically. Yeah, thank you. So obviously, again, um, people are affected in, in so many different ways depending on the the sector they're. <coughs> But I think the key for us is to keep bringing the community together because together we will find ways through. And yeah, that would be my final comment. Thank you. Thank you, Elizabeth. Kate, what's your membership view or the Institute's view of um, is it a Nike swish? To be honest, I mean, I'm very reluctant here to predict the, the future. Uh, I'm we're all hopeful absolutely hopeful. We've maintained our income levels, we've maintained um, increased member engagement. As I said earlier, it's the extent to which that is sustainable, but I think there's been an optimism from me throughout about how amazing people can be when they need to be, and how adaptable we actually are, and especially around innovation. So I am really looking forward to some great new ways of doing things. Yeah, wonderful, thank you. 
And Matt, I know you closed down and then you reopened. So, you know, what's yeah. it like? It's uh, it's interesting. I mean, we didn't close down completely. We we went from 100% let's say of sales down to about 2% of what we would normally expect over the six weeks. We were technically shut down to the wider community, but we were still providing for NHS contracts, prisons, uh, and key worker uh, products. So there was a little bit of business going on. Um, but since we reopened or made our services available about 10 days ago, the, the demand has surprised us. There really does seem to be a little bit of pent up demand for in the construction business for bathrooms products um, but we're not sure whether this is just historical demand that's all being pushed forward for now and whether it's going to sort of tear a little bit we talked about you know there's a little bit of a demand now that surprises all and then the, I think the growth will be slower moving forward so we've gone from 100% to 2% we're probably running at about 60% now and we think to get from 60% back up to 100% could take as long as 12 months so that's kind of what we we're predicting and working on at the moment wonderful um look um there's so much more that we could talk about and i feel like there's a whole debate that we could have which would be really meaningful about the shift between you know in person and online uh, and there's a whole debate we could have about you know in the next 18 months how do we maintain them you know the the operating model that we've currently got the the agility and all that kind of stuff but it's been a really really interesting conversation and we've had some great questions in um i'm just gonna uh, wrap up a little bit with a point coming from uh, john butters about media there's a few people agreeing with the media comments and just saying um i'm getting a lot of solace from reading foot's history of the american civil war the right strategy is uh, contested all the way through with constant political pressure in all directions. So John says, I fear twas ever thus. Um, but huge thank you to everybody, to Kate, to Elizabeth, to Giles and to Matt for participating this morning. Really appreciate your time and your super generous contributions. If I just may have a moment of everyone's time just to talk about next. So um, this session is coming up on the 3rd of June. I think it's a really important topic. We reference mental health uh, impact of all of this and building confidence back up and understanding one another. And that lovely comment about, you know, how the current tragedy has just really connected us with uh, each other and a more whole human level, which is something that, you know, Alembic we've always believed in, in terms of our leadership teaching process. And so this session, I think is a really important conversation. You know, how does loss, significant loss, maybe including grief, really impact on people's emotional state and what's that process like i think understanding some of the architecture of that having some articulacy about it as leaders for ourselves our family our friends and our colleagues i think it's a really important thing so i hope you'll tune in for that and just you know get some really important expert guidance from our team on what goes on for people when they're experiencing the loss of a sense of their life and their purpose but also just possibly the loss of somebody close as well um, um we'd love to see you all on that and then following that in later in june the next session is going to be on decisive leadership um thank you all very much indeed for your wonderful questions it's been great talking about covid in a strange way uh feel myself very optimistic and i'm looking forward to the nike swish which i think will be the new normal hopefully i'm banking on giles being right because he normally is 
and um, we'll see you all next time. Have a wonderful day and thank you very much uh, for coming on our webinar this morning. Thank you, Nick. Thank you, Nick. Thank you. Okay. Thank you very much, Nick. Cheers, everybody. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Thanks a lot. Bye.